We're going to continue our series called The Call. This morning, I want to challenge you with this title. You've been called out. I almost sent out a a promotional email or, or posted it on social media that the pastor would be calling some people out this Sunday, but I was afraid, you know, with Memorial Day weekend and people being gone, that nobody would show up if I said, I'm going to start calling people out this Sunday. But instead, I want to let you know that the Bible says you've already been called out. You know what it's like to be called out? You ever been there before? Have you students ever been sitting in a classroom at the end of the school day and, and a message comes over the intercom that you're being called to the principal's office? You're like, well, that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. But you know what it's like to be called out? You ever uh, gone to work? Parents, grandparents, you ever been in the workplace and uh, you've been called out to meet with the supervisor? That can be kind of an interesting moment. Well, the Scripture says that we've been called out. We're going to look at a picture of that in a passage that actually doesn't use the Word, but I want to show you that it demonstrates the Word as much as any passage in Scripture. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at this called out church in Acts chapter 2. As we open the Word of God, let's stand together as we read beginning with verse 40. Some of your Bibles kind of break the passage down a little different than others as far as where the titles are divided and the verses are numbered. But keep in mind that when Luke wrote Acts, like the rest of Scripture, the authors did not go through numbering the verses. That's something that Man added later so that we could find a particular place in the Bible. So I'm glad they did. But there might be an unfortunate break, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, between verses 40 and 41, or maybe between 41 and 42. But I want to go back and start with verse 40. And I'll be reading through 47 in the Holman translation. It says, And with many other words he testified. He is Peter here. Peter's the one that had been preaching and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. Every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Father, as we sang before we pray now, that You would touch Your church again. That You would set us on fire. Remind us by Your Spirit this morning that we've been called out. Called to You. Called to make a difference. For the glory of God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When I was a student in the youth group, I remember a youth leader calling me out. I remember a youth leader, in fact, getting in touch with me and about three other of my good friends that 
by the time that we were juniors and seniors in high school, we should have been spiritual leaders. We should have had a strong testimony. We had been under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We had been taught better, but to be quite honest, we had slipped into a phase of mediocrity in our lives. We weren't taking the stand for Christ that we should have been taking. We weren't living as faithful as we should have been living. Our testimony wasn't as uh, solid and on fire as it had been previously. And so this youth leader called us to meet right up here at the church. For those of you who didn't know, I was a member of the youth group at Trinity Baptist Church. So be careful with some of these students over here. They may be your future pastor. Um, (laughs) But I was a student in the youth group here at Trinity. And uh, this youth leader called us up here to the church because he wanted to meet with us. And he said, fellas, you're slipping. And he called us out. And he reminded us that Jesus didn't speak too highly of the lukewarm in Revelation, did he? (laughs) The church of Laodicea. And I'll refer to that again in just a moment. Because it's the last time in the Bible the word church is used. It's when Jesus addresses the church at Laodicea. But he called us out. And it's not fun to be called out, but he was probably doing more of what the church is to be about than most of us are doing most of the time when he called us out. Because you see, the very word church means called out. To be called out. Acts 2 demonstrates what the rest of the New Testament doctrinal sections teach. And that is that the church has, as we'll see it this morning in the text, it has a foundation, it has a framework, and it has a function that we're to be about. And it all revolves around being called out. To say that the church has a calling this morning would be redundant. And I know there are many churches that uh, have adopted the Greek word ekklesia, the word for church, as their church name. Uh, but whenever you see that phrase, ekklesia, church, you're seeing uh, church, church. That's the word for church. Ekklesia, called out. The word church, ekklesia, is used 75 times in the New Testament. The first use is in Matthew chapter 16. You know the passage Jesus said concerning the statement that Peter made concerning Jesus Himself being the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, on this rock, not on Peter, but on His confession of faith in Jesus Christ as the one and only Messiah. He said, on this rock I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so Jesus was laying the foundation for His church from the very beginning. And then the last time we see the word church, as I mentioned a moment ago, is in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. I find it quite interesting, in case there's you know the, the mid-tribbers and post-tribbers that might be gathered here, I find it quite interesting that as the Bible gets into the tribulation period, it never mentions the church again. The last mention of the church, Jesus uses the word church when He addresses the seven churches In Asia Minor, the last church, he says, to the church of Laodicea, that lukewarm church, he told John to write these things. And so all in between, we have the the wonderful doctrine of the church, the called out saints, the believers. And maybe it's best seen in 1 Peter 2.9, which some of you would say the word church isn't in this passage, but let me show you how it is. In 1 Peter chapter 2.9, it says that you, speaking of the believers, are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, God's own special people. The word there means peculiar. Anybody sitting next to somebody who seems a little peculiar this morning? All right. The Bible says you're a peculiar people. God's own special people 
And it says that He called you out of darkness and it is marvelous light that you may declare the praises. Listen, we're to, we're to proclaim His praises, but in that passage where it says that we've been called out, it's the same description there. Uh, you have the word ek, out of, and you have uh, the word kaleo for calling. And so that's the word ekklesia when you put it together. That's used 75 times in the New Testament. That means to be called out. So we are churched when we call it. We use that phrase sometimes, you know. Are they churched or are they unchurched? Well, we are churched when we've been called out to be a part of the body of Christ. Called out and set apart. Now the word saint means one who has been set apart. So the word holiness means set apart. You are made a saint through the blood of Jesus Christ, the called out, set apart of God for His purposes. So, how do we reignite our passion to be part of the church? How do we allow the Spirit of God to call us out again and again and again and maintain a life of vitality that we need to be reminded of? This morning, we need to be reminded of some of these core essentials of the church, the called out ones, the, the fact that the church is a living organism and it is also at the same time a local organization. Of those 75 times the word church is used, the overwhelming majority of the times it is referring to a local body of believers. There are times that it's referring to the church universal, the church worldwide, that we are all part of that body and that bride of Christ. But the overwhelming majority of the time it's talking about our calling to a local body of believers that we're all to be a part of. There are those in the world today who would argue, well, I'm part of the church universal, the worldwide church, but I don't particularly belong to a local body of believers. Well, the overwhelming majority of the time in Scripture, they would be violating the, the Bible that says we're called to be a part of this local church, the local body of believers. So let's look at the, what I mentioned before, the foundation, the framework, and the function. First of all, this morning, I want you to see the calling as it relates to the church's foundation being the message of Christ. The church's foundation is the message of Christ. Remember I referred to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 on this rock. The fact that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus said, I will build my church. So Jesus Himself and His message is the foundation of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, it describes Christ and the message of the gospel. Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone of the church. So let's be abundantly clear. The church is to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and no other foundation. We're not to be uh, just another social club, another organization for you to be a part of, something for you to say you have membership in. We are to be founded on the rock Jesus Christ and no other. Now how do we see that being demonstrated in the early church in Acts chapter 2? Well, in verse 40, it says, with many other words. What had Peter preached up until this point? He had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. How Christ, God the Son, had stepped into this world, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, was buried, rose again as alive and well. He had preached the, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ using Old Testament Scriptures that pointed to the coming of Christ. He was calling people to faith in Christ. The foundation of the very beginning of the early church. And by the way, today, it's interesting we're in Acts chapter 2, today happens to be Pentecost Sunday. And so we celebrate when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The church was, yes, it was founded by Christ, in Christ, and for Christ, but it was launched on this day of Pentecost. 
And with all of these words, verse 40, he strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. What was he saying when he was saying, Be saved? He was calling them out. Now, let's make something clear. Church membership doesn't save you. Can we all agree on that? Church membership doesn't save you. But listen, salvation churches you. See, sometimes we emphasize the other to the fault, one to the fault of the other. Church membership doesn't save you, but salvation churches you. It, because being part of the church is being part of those who are called out and, and, and set apart to be a part of the community of faith. And that's what God's call on us, even beginning at salvation. Salvation churches us. It places us in the body of Christ. Verse 41, we see that those who had believed were baptized. That's how we identify with Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and resurrection. 3,000 were added to them that day. They were assimilated into the church, into the body of Christ. Not just to say they checked something off, that they prayed a prayer, that they knew Jesus, but they were saved and churched all in one moment. They were identifying through water baptism outwardly what God had done inwardly, making them part of the kingdom, part of the body of Christ. And again, church membership and even water baptism doesn't save you, but it was unthinkable for the early church for someone to say that they had come to faith in Christ and to not be a part of the local church and to not follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It, it, was, it was inseparable. It was unthinkable. Now, again, salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. But salvation churches you. It, it makes you a part. It calls you out to be a part of the church. Verse 42 goes on to speak of the, the, the fact that they came together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some translations use the word doctrine. It was the preaching and the teaching of the gospel as the, the Bible, the New Testament, was still being written and inspired of the Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of the church was being brought out, the apostles' doctrine and the apostles' teaching became part of that foundation. Jesus Christ, His Gospel, His Word, laid the foundation for what the church was to be built on, the message of Christ that's calling us out. You say, well, Pastor, why are you emphasizing all that this morning? We understand that. We believe that Jesus is the foundation. We believe that the teaching of the gospel and, and being doctrinally solid, as a matter of fact, it's our first core value, uh, biblical authority and doctrinal integrity, that we believe those things that we sang about a moment ago, that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God, that His Word is true and that we can build our lives on it. But too many churches and too many pastors are avoiding today the called out aspect of the gospel. The, the called out aspect of the message of Christ, that it confronts us and it calls us out. And, and as a result of it, all over America today, we have crowds. We have small crowds and we have large crowds that call themselves churches, but they don't understand what the word church means and they've forsaken the foundation of the church. Yes, they have a crowd and it may be a spiritual crowd, but they are not called out. In other words, they're a crowd, but they're not a church. Listen to I can't emphasize enough that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's God's gift, lest any of us should boast. But do you ever think about what leads up to Paul writing that to the church at Ephesus? 
Listen to the preceding verses, starting with Ephesians 1, verse 22. He put everything under His feet, speaking of Jesus, and appointed Jesus as head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of the One who fills all things in every way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's not a popular message, is it? That's why churches aren't calling people out. That's why we're forsaking the whole called out aspect of church today. Because we don't want to tell people, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Which you walked according to the, this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain. The spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desire. Carrying out inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature, we were children under wrath as the others were also. See, Paul was saying we were all messed up before we got called out. (laughs) We, We were sinners by nature. We were sinners by choice. And our heart desires to do some things that it shouldn't desire to do. But listen to verse 4 in chapter 2. But God, who is abundant in mercy, because of His great love that He has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses, by grace you have been saved. You, he also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Past tense, done deal. You've been called out, placed with Christ in the heavens. That's what the church is all about that He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. So it was that grace. Yes, we're to speak of the grace of God. We're to speak of the love of God. We're to speak of how good God is and how He, he, He comes to meet us where we are because we're all messed up. But that grace confronts us. That love confronts us. The cross confronts our sins and says we are a messed up people that need a Savior to deliver us. So we are called out and built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. A very well-known pastor of a megachurch here in North Georgia is making some confusing statements about the Gospel not really calling people out. At a conference called the Catalyst Conference in the western part of this country, he recently said that the church should be the safest place for gay youth. Now, before we judge the statement, let's say there's an aspect we better agree with. If he means a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to grapple with the Word of God, a safe place to find answers without the threat of physical or verbal abuse, the church better be the safest place. In that aspect, he's absolutely right. But if he means a place where they will be told, you can be a part of this congregation and never worry about the sin of homosexuality being confronted with the gospel of grace that calls us out to faith and repentance, then I would have to disagree. And and with all the follow-up questions, it seems that he embraces the latter rather than the former. See, the, the gospel, the calling out, being a part of the church confronts our sin. Now, you may not struggle with same sex attraction. Most of us don't. But what do you struggle with? Pride? Envy? Gluttony? Selfishness? Pornography? 
alcoholism? What is it we struggle with? What is the sin that most easily entangles us? We're all sinners by nature and by choice. Listen, let, let me make this clear. I would agree with this pastor that the gospel confronts all sin, but listen, if we try to say that any sin we need to just let go and never confront, then we have a problem because the gospel calls us out of darkness and into the light. And so what we have a result of, of preaching and teaching that doesn't confront sin and call us out is we have the fact that all over this nation, crowds are being built, but not churches. Because churches are made up of those who are called out of darkness and into the light. You say, but yeah, but all those other sins you mentioned, one of them is mine. Listen, one of them is mine. The difference is we're willing to call it sin. We're willing to call it what God calls it and say, God, help me today to repent and help me tomorrow to repent and help me the next. And, and as I struggle with it, help me to be embraced by and embrace a community of faith that's going to help me daily overcome the temptation that I face in this world. I want to reach as big a crowd as the next pastor. But my goal is to see the Word of God meet people where they are and call them out and move them from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life, giving them victory over sin. We're the called out ones. We're to call people out with clarity, with grace, with love, and without apology for saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. He is the foundation. If we move from the centrality of the Gospel the Gospel of Jesus Christ that confronts us and calls us out. If we get away from that foundation, we have no foundation left, no other name left by which people can be saved. So we've got to hold fast to the Gospel of Christ, the foundation, the message of Christ as the foundation of the church. Secondly, I want you to see not just the foundation, but the framework. The framework of the church is the ministering believers. That's you and me. Jesus is the foundation, but He has chosen to allow us to be the framework. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, not verse 9 this time, which says we are called out, but verse 5 says we are living stones. That He's building us up together as the framework, as the body and the bride of Christ. We are the living stones on the rock, the foundation Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and Christ being that foundation is building up a framework in you and me. So what our ministry is, is that which binds us together as a church. We see a ministering church in Acts 2. Look at the text again. They're breaking bread together. It's not just doctrine, there's, there's fellowship. Now the breaking of, of bread sometimes refers to taking of the Lord's Supper. And so that could have been part of it. But sometimes it refers to fellowship. The fact that they were sharing the message of the Christ with each other. A community of faith. They gathered together, again, in verses 42 and 43. The breaking of bread. And in prayers, they were praying together. It's been said that the church that, uh, or the family that prays together stays together. I'll tell you, the church that prays together stays together. Prayer had become a ministry within the church, a ministry that permeated all other ministries. In chapter 4 and verse 31, it says, after they had come together and prayed, that the Holy Spirit gave them 
the boldness to go out and proclaim the message of Christ. So they needed that time. Listen, the church isn't just a holy huddle that needs to huddle all the time, but we need that time in the huddle to give us the boldness so that we can go out and make a difference for the kingdom. There was not only that, verse 44 tells us that there was a unity within the church. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Philippians chapter 2 says, we're to be thinking of others as more important than ourselves. We're to be like-minded of the same Spirit. Sacrificing self for the betterment of the body. And so there was a unity of the believers as they stood together. And again and again, I remind, uh, Pastor Ben will tell you, anytime somebody comes in to the church, they come on staff, they come to do some work here, I say, listen, above all, let's guard the unity of the Spirit. Church needs to be a unified body. So there's a spirit here, a, a fellowship of, of prayer, a spirit of unity. And then the care ministry that was taking place as part of the framework of the church. Look what's happening as they begin to care for one another. So they sold their possessions and their property. They distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. By the way, this isn't communism. This isn't, let's just you know uh, put it all in one pot and redistribute the wealth and make us all even. That's not what it's saying. It's saying they took care of one another's needs. They saw people that had needs and they met those needs. Now our church has a benevolence team and we care about people outside the walls of this church and we want to meet, meet needs. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 tells us to especially take care of the people of the household of faith. In other words, the church should show, so take care of one another that those outside realize, listen, if I were a part of a church, I would have my needs better taken care of than I can have my needs taken care of by not being a part of the church. There should be a draw, something that causes people to say, you know what, that church is a family that I would like to be a part of. And we'll talk a moment about how we can't let that become a holy clique, right? But the church's function there, or the church's framework there, has a care ministry where they're looking out for the needs of each other. And then the church is celebrating. The church should be a place of celebration. You know, Easter Sunday is a big Sunday in most churches, right? We gather to celebrate the resurrection. Let me ask you a question. Why do we have church on Sunday anyway? I mean, isn't the, the Old Testament Sabbath Saturday? Isn't it the seventh day of the week, not the first day of the week? For the church to have moved corporate worship from Saturday to Sunday, something big had to happen on Sunday, right? You know the answer to that. Easter, Christ rose from the grave. So listen, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a day that we gather together as the body of Christ to celebrate the presence of our living Lord. This was a celebrating church. It says with joy in their hearts. There was a lot of joy. You know why some people don't want to be a part of the church? They go to a church and they don't see any joy. And when there's joy within a church, there's a framework for church health. And rather than, listen, if you're part of a ministry and you want to involve other people in that ministry, you know the best way to do that is to do that ministry with joy? When you enjoy going on that mission trip, when you enjoy serving on that ministry team, others will say, man, they're having a good time, I want to be a part of that. But when you do it with drudgery, and you do it in the flesh rather than in the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. When you do it in the flesh rather than in the Spirit, you do it with drudgery, and you come away after church going, well, I had nursery today, and those kids drove me nuts. But if you can say, man, what a blessing it was to serve those children. What a blessing it was to minister to those teenagers. They, they lit a fire under my heart. When you serve the Lord with gladness, as the psalm says, 
then it's contagious and others want to be a part of it. And it is a rich part of the framework of the church. This joy, this celebration. Verse 47 says they were praising God. There, there was a celebration of the presence of the living Christ in their midst and others wanted to be a part of that celebration. You see the framework? It's ministering believers built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not called to live out our faith alone, but to be a part of a framework. Part of You say, well, no, I, I like kind of living my faith alone over here by myself. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We got it all worked out. <laughs> I just want to kind of be out here by myself. It's like taking a piece of the architecture and removing it from the building, from the structure, from what God is doing. Don't think of... Well, you know, Pastor, when I'm not active in church, I really want you to know I miss a blessing. Not only do you miss a blessing, you rob others of a blessing. Because you don't go just to get blessed. God's called you to be a blessing, to be a part of that framework of the church, to help it all stick together. We'll talk about spiritual gifts in the future. Uh, and next week, as a matter of fact, we'll, we'll get to spiritual gifts. But that's why so many more need to get involved. Find your ministry to others. Connect with a life group, a small group, build relationships with one another in the body of Christ so that there's a cohesiveness in the framework. Those who say, well, I, I believe in the foundation of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't need a local church. Don't understand what it means to be called out of Christ. Could you imagine if somebody came to me and said, um, Pastor Robbie, we like you. want you to come over to the house for lunch after church today. But don't bring your wife. See, Tina's a little bit too loud. She's crazy. We, you know, we like you, but we don't want you to bring your wife. You know, Matthew's getting married this evening. Imagine we'd have gotten an invitation in the mail. said, this is to Pastor Robbie, but not to Tina. She can't come to the wedding. And somebody invites me to a school play. Hey, Pastor Robbie, will you come to this? But don't bring your wife. Well, that'd be ridiculous. As a matter of fact, it's much more likely that she's going to get invited instead of me. Say, that's absurd, you know, because, listen, I would eventually, you're going to hurt me. If you speak in a way that's negative of my wife, you've hurt my feelings. You've upset me. You, you talk negative about my wife, and then I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. You can talk negative about a lot of things, but I'm like, hey, you know, that's my... My kids will tell you that they, there have been times in their life they've been disciplined for back-talking Tina, and I didn't say you back-talk your mother. I said, you back-talk my wife. We got problems. Pastor, why are you saying all that? You're not preaching on marriage today. No, but listen. The church is what? The bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. If somebody says, I love Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with a local church... They've insulted the bride of Christ and Jesus isn't too fond of that. And so He's called us to be part of the framework to be His bride, to be His body. How we act toward the bride of Christ is important. Finally, I want you to see the church's function. Why are we here? Well, we're here for those who aren't here. <laughs> Why are we still here? All these things I've been talking about are going to get even sweeter in heaven except for one thing, and that's evangelism. Once we get to heaven, Gideon ministry won't be needed anymore. So we better be about that ministry now. 
Sharing the gospel won't be needed anymore. Look what's happening. This is the whole theme of Scripture. We exist to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. We exist to know Him and to make Him known. Every aspect of our purpose of existence will continue in heaven except for sharing the gospel with lost people who do not know Him. That's our missional function. The church's function is missional living. You go back to verse 41, it says 3,000 souls were added. Could you imagine? I bet just before the day of Pentecost, somebody came to Peter and said, I think we're getting too big. I think we're growing too fast. I don't think this is, I don't think this is healthy growth, Peter. And all of a sudden, they got 3,000 baby Christians in their midst. Wasn't a bad thing in the eyes of the Holy Spirit of God. 3,000 were added in that day. But see, it sandwiches the whole passage here. Not only at the beginning of this text do we see 3,000 coming to faith in Christ. In verse 47, it concludes that the Lord added to those, added to them those who were being saved on a daily basis. Every day, people were coming to faith in Christ. The church was functioning. The church functions for those who are not yet here. We are one of the few organizations that exist for those who aren't part of it. We're here for those who aren't here. We'll talk about a call to missions. We'll talk about a call to evangelism and future messages on the call. But the function of the church is a missional function. We have the foundation of the message. We have the framework of ministering saints. And when we're coming together, when we're healthy, we are functioning. Listen, this doesn't really get into the Great Commission so much of, of hey, all right, now everybody go and tell. That's part of the message that we'll get to. But, but in this passage, they were added to their numbers because they were a healthy church, being the church God had called them to be. Their existence was not that of a clique or a social club that was saying, us four and no more, nobody else can be a part of this. But they were constantly thinking of those who were not part of the body yet. There was no elitist mentality. May that never be true. That, that, uh, there, there's in our world today, just watch Fox News, there is an elitist mentality in our world today. People who think they're better. It happens politically. We're part of an elite political group. It happens in our careers. Well, I've achieved to a certain position of status. It happens in education. I've got more degrees than a thermometer. It happens in sports. It happens in secret societies. It happens in social clubs. But there's no place for it in the church. No place because you are part of something special by the grace of God. I am part of something special by the grace of God. I pastor this church. Listen, Paul said Ephesians 3.8 I was given this grace that even though I was least of all the saints, I might preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. We are part of this by the grace of God and that grace is to be extended to everyone. There's no merit to being a big church and having a big crowd if you've lost your foundation of the Word of God. There's no merit to being a small church if there's not room for others to come and be a part of it. Church's foundation is Jesus Christ, His Word. The church's framework is me and you ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit doing what God's called us to do. Being a part of that framework. The church functions. The reason we're still here and had not been raptured on up is to reach those who aren't here. 
with the gospel of Christ. Remember the old hymn? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Well, church, I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. And I'm brokenhearted for those who are not yet a part. And I want them to be a part. Let's be the church. Let's understand we've been called out. You've been called out. I've been called out. Now let's live the calling we've been given. Would you bow your heads with me?